0: Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is Andrea Schaefer, first vice president of legal here at Cambridge. Thanks for joining me, Andrea. Thank you. So happy to be here. So proud of you lately. You've done some great things. Can't wait for the audience to hear about your journey and uh, the advice that you have to give individuals who might be thinking about our business or... Uh, considering a career even in financial services. So let's start right there. Let's begin with your journey. How did
1: you get here? Mm, accidents in life, man. So uh, I went to law school. That was planned. And that was the last planned thing in my life that has happened. So I um, Went to law school at the University of Iowa, and I was dead set on getting out. I focused on international law. I was going to change the world, work with the UN, all those things. Um, And then I moved to Fairfield, and none of those things happened, and I really wished I'd taken securities law in law school instead of international law. But um, got here, started in the marketing department because I have good grammar. I was the editor was there for a hot second. And then Colleen Bell, one of my favorite people here at Cambridge, realized I had a law degree and snatched me up because that's when she was in the compliance department. And kind of the rest is history. I was there for nine years, moved into legal about four or five years ago. um, And yeah, here I am today.
0: Lots of similarities to when I do these interviews with a lot of our advisors, people ending up places accidentally. So if anybody listens to a lot of these podcasts, hopefully they're realizing that sometimes doors open that we don't really see in advance. Totally. Um, so a w- couple of points I wanna unpack there. One, you are changing the world. So <laughs> you're still meeting that <laughs> ultimate goal just in a totally different way. We know around here, we like to make the world a better place. And let's talk for a second about that transition from marketing to compliance. Colleen did it too, um, Mm -hmm. and she's had a great career here as well, but it's a unique skill set even though you were in editing and you have good grammar and maybe you weren't doing design or advertising. You're still with an entirely different group of people with different skill sets. Did you have any doubts? Did you did you take the marketing job just to see what it was like? And you always knew that you'd eventually come back you know, more to an administrative compliance and legal role. Obviously, you didn't invest in law school for nothing. <laughs> so maybe you did want to use it eventually.
1: I did want to use it eventually. I think when I took the marketing role, I knew that I mean, the role is very specific. It was the editor role. And I knew I could do that. I knew I would be good at that. Um, I'd done some of the work they'd wanted, which was like working on the website to make sure it flowed, you know, again, grammar, things like that. I'd done that before at a job that I had during law school, like my side gig. And so I knew I could do it. But it is... um, the change from marketing to compliance, like I love both groups. I work with both groups still, um, but it is a totally different type of person in each role. And you really see that when you go from surrounded by the crew and marketing and you move to a different floor at Cambridge and you're surrounded by the crew and the compliance. They're all wonderful in their own unique ways. But um, I was glad to be able to work with the marketing team because, you know, Bobby was my first like big upline boss, and she's still here, and she's great, and I love her, and we can laugh about it. That's great. So let's
0: talk a little bit more about today. What does your day-to-day look like as first vice president of legal here at Cambridge? A lot of our financial professionals listen to this podcast, and maybe some of them haven't even, actually, they're probably glad they haven't had the opportunity to speak with you (laughs) once they hear what your day-to-day looks like, but um, I'm sure they're going to be interested in hearing what you and your team actually do here.
1: Yeah, so One of the things that I love about my job and about Cambridge, because we are so open architecture, is that my days are never the same. You know, I will have the same meetings from week to week, but we don't have the same things to talk about. So there's no cookie cutter in my job. Um, So in legal, I have two hats. One is the true legal hat. So I work a little bit with our dispute resolution team and a lot bit with our regulatory affairs group. And that's why like hearing my name or seeing it on the caller ID strikes fear into the heart of all financial professionals. But um, also the other part of my job, which is less known, our advocacy and supervision group, which is our in-house supervisors. And they do some relationship management as well. I help lead that group. And that's been really fun and rewarding. I've been doing that for the last three or four years. And that's really helped me get to know more advisors on a personal level and also get to know how they do business, how they run. You know, it's kind of the behind the scenes. Let's look into the numbers. And you do not get that on the legal side. So I really appreciated having that facet of my career lately. So here at Cambridge, we try to take a different approach
0: and convince our financial professionals that choose to trust us with their business that our compliance folks are not the business prevention department, but that we're here to support and help them. So you bring up a good point, which is automatically if somebody's got something like that in their title, there's a little bit of anxiety, perhaps, especially if they haven't met you before. But how do you uniquely approach it to fit in with our culture when you have to deal with something a little bit more difficult you know what's the what's the skills what are the attributes that have to come through to make you successful at what you're doing in line with our
1: core values and how we want our financial professionals to feel about us yeah i mean let's be real there are compliance people out there who are pretty not fun pretty terrible like they're just they're just they're compliance people they're what you would expect um, I don't think I'm one of them and I don't think compliance people like that survive at Cambridge because they don't have the flexibility they they need to have the control and there's a rigidity to them that they just can't let go of. Um, I think the fact that I am a huge proponent of you have to have fun at work is one of the ways that I break the mold we have we deal with really heavy stuff and, um, I know that I probably have a higher tolerance for pain than a lot of people when it comes to dealing with this stuff. But the associates I work with here, they're dealing with it, too. And, you know, we just need to have fun sometimes. And I think that I translate that into how I work with the financial professionals, too. Like, you're a human being. I'm a human being. We can connect on a personal level. It doesn't just have to be you didn't disclose your OBA on time, you were three days late, like, you know, let's have some grace and treat each other with respect and understand we've all got a lot going on. So um, I think that we do a good job at Cambridge of finding the talent that can do that and cultivating that within them because we've been really successful at it. I was in compliance for nine years. I did a lot of home office visits with advisors. And usually when I walked out of the room, I could tell there was just like a, it's not the same as my current firm. And so I guess that was my benchmark. I knew we weren't failing because they didn't seem completely terrified of me when I left that room.
0: Yeah, you and your team do a great job uh, fitting in with where we want to go, which is, to your point, we've all got a lot going on. Our industry is highly complex. Half the time... Firm by firm, the interpretations are different about what the rules should look like. We all lay our own policies and procedures on them. And inevitably, somebody's going to make a mistake. We just hope it's an administrative mistake and not the world-ending, career-ending type mistakes, which, uh, thank goodness, knock on wood, we've been very fortunate with. Um, So I said earlier, we're super proud of you. We totally are so thrilled to have you recently named as a 2022 Investment News 40 Under 40 honoree. We also had two financial professionals. I hear, even though I wasn't at the the, uh, awards ceremony, that we might be uh, one of the few, if not the only, firm that had multiple honorees, which is exciting. We had Megan Bynum and Chris Janota. Give a little background for our listeners. This award is only given to 40 individuals under the age of 40 working in our industry. But what advice do you have for financial professionals that are looking to grow in our industry? And what does it mean to be a 40 under 40? Um, there should be 50 under 50 and 60 under 60. Just putting it out there, but... <laughs>
1: yes, let's not limit it. There are amazing people at every age. Um, it's, it was crazy. Like I couldn't, I I was shocked. I was not in office when I got the email and I was at home and I yelled my husband's name so loud. He like came running. He thought there was a fire. There was no fire. I was just really excited. Um, but I think um, after going to the event in New York where all the um, honorees could k- kind of meet each other, it was exciting to see there's, so much talent in that room. And it's so diverse. There were a lot of financial advisors in the room. But there were um, professors, there were three or four professors, there was a couple of back office people like me, but there were a ton of entrepreneurs, you know, they're building their offices. And I think that, um, you know, how many people were really focused on financial planning and look at things, looking at things holistically and trying to figure out how to make the industry something that's attractive to younger people for a career and also um, trustworthy for younger people to invest. I think there was a really good vibe in the room. And, you know, we have a bad reputation, our industry, the regulators think we're all evil. Um, But I, I think there are a lot of movers and shakers in that room that are going to be able to lay the groundwork that no we know what we're doing. and We're trustworthy. We're good people. And so that gave me a lot of hope just to see that there's more diversity. There's more ideas. There's a lot more out there than what people stereotypically think about when they think the securities or the finance industry. So if somebody is even remotely considering after listening
0: to your enthusiasm today, ready to think about our industry... What what advice? Where do they go? What do you suggest they try? What do you think? What do you suggest they think about?
1: I mean, there's literally something that anyone can do. So um, I am a great example. I was a political science international relations major. I focused on international law in law school. And here I am. Now I know all sorts of things about securities law. Um, My brother is actually in the industry. He works. um, He works now for principal. He worked for prudential um and you know he he was going to be a middle school teacher of history um there's a there's a place for everybody you if you want to help people if you want to work with people you can be an advisor you can pick the type of client you want you know if we say at cambridge you control your journey like you literally can control your own journey if you have that entrepreneurial spirit and want to be a business owner and you can do that you can bring in the clients you can be the asset manager there's a million different ways if you're super creative you can be like the folks who are sitting in this room with Amy and I making sure we don't mess up the podcast and do the marketing side i mean you can design there's there's something for anyone no matter what your talents are so i don't i don't pe- want people to think i don't like numbers i don't want to follow the stock market because it's so much more than that
0: good advice You joined Cambridge in 2007. Yes. You have nearly 15 years of experience in our industry total. Now somebody can start going backwards, doing the math to figure out just how much under 40 you are. Not much. (laughs) Spoiler, (laughs) barely. (laughs) Seems to be the pattern for us to get everybody in right under that wire. Um, What ways have you seen the industry evolve? And how does your team work to stay on top of this really challenging regulatory environment?
1: It is really challenging. And because one of the biggest parts of my job is the regulatory affairs, um, we do have to keep our ear to the ground. Um, The industry has changed slowly but quickly at the same time. I don't really know how to explain it. Um, So... You know, you've got regulations that were written in the 30s. Those are really unhelpful today. I don't know if any of you realize this, but having rules from the 30s that govern how we communicate that couldn't have even conceived how we actually communicate is not great. So that's the slow part of it. But at the same time, when it comes to innovation, like product development and trying to respond to that and taking this really archaic rule structure and fitting it to all the new ways that we can do business, that's really hard. Um, and the regulators scramble to keep up and they can't rule make fast enough, which is why they do a lot of rulemaking by enforcement, um, which is when instead of actually telling all of the financial professionals and the firms, this is the rule, please follow it. They say, oh, you broke the unwritten rule. So now we are going to slap you on the wrist. It's like being told you were speeding when there are no speed limit signs posted. So that's the really hard part that we're adjusting to right now. We talk to Colleagues across the industry. Seth Miller has tons of contacts. I talk to people. I know you talk to people. We're trying to understand what they're seeing, um, how they're reacting. We read the guidance that's out there. You know, it's just constantly about searching for the information that we can find, using the connections we have, trying to figure out what's appropriate for Cambridge and our advisors. Because again, we don't really like the cookie cutter approach. We want to make sure we're thoughtful and intentional when we create policy around here.
0: And then how do you take that and translate that to somebody brand new to our industry and teach them?
1: Well, my suggestion, find a mentor <laughs> that knows what they're doing. Um because it is really hard. I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose 15 years ago because I knew nothing about anything. I was like a pip. What's a pip? I, like, literally had to Google it. Um, And so you need a mentor to kind of just help you navigate. You know, you can still set up everything the way you want, and it can be how you want it to be. But there are some of these, like, big things, these core tenets. It's like somebody just needs to tell you about them. I needed somebody to tell me about all the stuff that happened in the 90s with, like, the mutual fund failures that I had no idea about because I wasn't paying attention back then. And so you just kind of need these people to help you walk through it. But, um, you know, I think once you find that trusted person, you do need to have some pretty solid Googling skills as well. Like, it's amazing what you can find on the internet. It's not all correct. You need to make sure it's trustworthy. But, um, you know, if you're a self-starter, a self-learner, that's a great resource as well. I used it a lot, just again, like, well, it's a SWIP, PIP and SWIP. Why do we keep putting these in our bulletins, Amy? I was like, what's going on? That was 2007, Andrea, trying to catch up with life.
0: <laughs> I think one of the fascinating things about the world today, probably in any industry, but I only know ours really well, um, is we've got four, maybe call it five generations, trying to work together in the same environment. And what you just hit on that I think is really key, that maybe gets lost in translation translation a little bit is mentoring goes both ways. So you were recommending younger people in one hand on one hand find older mentees to tell them the things they didn't know because they were still in kindergarten and or middle school when they happened and we're still dealing with them to your earlier point. Um, and then the other side of that is those of us that are a little older need to find reverse mentorships, younger people to help us with the technology because fintech is such an incredibly big component of our industry. And second career people that are coming in that are a little older, less tech savvy, Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, no, you know, that's not critical. It's just reality, um, may not automatically think about this. I mean, you just did a really simple example of Google. And I'll tell you, I can't tell you, with my son who's 22 a couple years ago i would call in for all kinds of weird technology things my phone's not working i can't figure this out why why is my computer doing that if i couldn't lean into the people and the resources i have here that are phenomenal i would go to colton mm-hmm. and finally he's like mom i've got no problem taking your call and or your text and answering <laughs> your questions but you do know there's two really big resources out there called google and youtube and you can literally find out how to do any of this stuff by yourself now do I still call him just because I'm looking for an excuse of course sure. but did he teach me something absolutely so I think the same goes in the workplace right
1: totally I completely agree with that I work I'm kind of in the middle I feel like at Cambridge I definitely have colleagues who are older than me at Cambridge we have a lot of um, younger associates as well and so I, I'm definitely mentoring people younger than me. And I think I do have kind of informal relationships with some of um, the folks who are older than me here. I, you know, I set up a bit moji for somebody because they wanted to talk to their daughters and they wanted to be like in their sports um, team <laughs> clothes. And so I did that. But you brought up FinTech. That's a huge one. Um, like, that's why we've got the new century council. Right. Because we want to make sure that we're keeping up with things. And so. It does take the younger voice because they're they're more likely to know. There are certainly older advisors who are crazy tech savvy. They exist. Um, but it's definitely the younger voice that is pushing more and will push us to think outside of the box. You know, I think we already think we're thinking outside the box, but they're like, no, this is actually the box. Bigger it's box. Bigger <laughs> than what you guys think. And I think that's important. Um I I mean, there's no reason why you shouldn't have relationships across every single generation because you will learn something from somebody at any age, and they'll probably learn something from you. Well said. So you're one of the youngest members of the Cambridge
0: Leadership Team. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That can't be easy. There's a, you know, we typically talk about the glass ceiling. This is a different kind of ceiling, probably, that somebody has to break through as a younger person to try to get the people in the room. And I think it's easier today than it was 20 years ago or or even longer. But uh, how was that? What was the – how did you do it? How did you accomplish that?
1: Um, I worked really hard <laughs> to make sure that people thought I was competent and could do it. I think my biggest fear always, less at Cambridge and sometimes when I would go to, like, peer industry events, was I'm – in my thirties, I'm female. Are they going to take me seriously? Um, do I? Do I? Should I have a seat at this table? Do I actually know as much as the six-year-old guy sitting next to me? Um, and that was—that's a battle in your head, more so today than it is actually in the room. There is still some of it, but it's mostly in my head. At Cambridge, I think um, I think I just worked really hard, and I built relationships with a lot of different people. One of the good things about my job is you do work with every single department because there's bound to be something that goes wrong somewhere. i of kind of the cleanup crew around here. And so I do get to have relationships with a lot of different people and that's helped as well. I think people typically don't see my age when they see me, they just see Andrea. And so that's a huge benefit of being here at Cambridge. I think
0: what the point you made that's most important maybe for our listeners to hear and hear again is get out of your own head. If you walk into the room sending off a vibe that you're not sure you should be there, the sharks are going to pick up on that.
1: Yeah, you've got to have confidence. I mean, you've got to have confidence in any career that you pick, but you definitely need to have confidence when you're – younger and you you feel like you're new to the game but you've got just as much to offer
0: Yeah, respectful because there's a fine line between confidence and cocky yeah
1: Uh, confidence absolutely (laughs) yeah don't be the cocky jerk because then you're just giving all of us millennials a bad reputation (laughs) there you go
0: my daughter will thank you for putting that out there that's the vibe she likes to send as well Um, How do you leverage your knowledge and experiences that you've built thus far to continue supporting and representing the industry's next generation? And I know you said that's a topic that you guys talked about at the 40 Under 40, but how do we keep doing that, you and others?
1: Um, I think we have to be open to change. What got us here is not what's going to keep us going there. I mean, there's literally a book, like, basically titled that, and it's an accurately titled book. Um, But we just have to be open to change and doing things differently and ready to accept that, um, you know, we talked a lot in New York at the event. It's not necessarily like the person who graduated with a finance degree that's going to be the best junior advisor for you. It might be somebody who um, was a teacher and, you know, they're obviously good with people. Um, Well, most are. Or maybe like a nurse, they like to take care of people. You know, there are other there are people who maybe want a career change and we just need to start thinking it's not always this one type of person. We It's the cookie cutter mentality, right? We're so good at not thinking like that at Cambridge. And we just need the rest of the industry to think like that as well, because a lot of different people with different life experiences um, have so much to offer that could benefit what we do. We talk about this a lot in the spirit of diversity,
0: and I think it translates well just into this topic we're discussing here, which is the big complaint and the easy excuse can be, I can't find anyone who, and finish the sentence, wants to work, wants to work hard, wants to be in our industry, wants Mm -hmm. to eat what they kill. There's a million things that come after that. Um, But what we've tried to get our own psychology across is they – are actually out there, we're just looking in the wrong place. Yeah. And that's what you're describing.
1: Totally. Completely. It's like, find the person that works well with you. You like their innate traits that they have. Maybe insanely detail-oriented or outrageously creative. I don't know what's going to vibe with you. But find the person that has the traits that you want and then train them how to do the rest. Teach them. I'm sure they'll be able to get there. And then you're not going to be stuck with somebody who on paper looked great, but you can't stand two years later. Yeah, for sure.
0: So aside from all those wicked skills we've been talking about that you're so good at, the other thing that you've been really good at here is putting yourself out there, volunteering, volunteering, Perhaps sometimes too much, as you and I have discussed in (laughs) the past. We have. Learn how to say no is an important topic maybe we should talk about after this question. Mm -hmm. But um, you're the chair of the Conflicts Committee for Cambridge. You're a sponsor for the Cambridge Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Committee. You've served as facilitator for the Cambridge Community of Women, and there's probably many, many more. Talk about some of those roles within the programs. Why is it important to be involved? Does it help you keep up to date on industry trends? What are the, what are the benefits to you?
1: So um, they're all, all different. Um, you know, a conflicts committee, great example. I have that role because of my job and my, you know, expertise in my job. Is it fun? Not particularly, um, but it's needed and I will sit in that chair and I will do it. Um, the Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Committee. Now, that one is a little more fun. I get to work with tons of associates. I get to work with financial professionals. We talk about things that are not stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Um, and so that's really rewarding. My favorite part about that is the relationship aspect, just getting to know the people. Um, and it's also fun to move the ball forward on the DE&I initiatives. Um, things like the Cambridge Community of Women, I, and anyone by the way can come to those events just so we're all um, aware so if you're like oh I can't go because I'm about to say they're so fun um it's just a fun happy room every time we have one of those and again it's about just a community of people that are all kind of looking to make it a positive experience and that's when events are the most fun you don't want to go to something where you've got a bunch of angry, upset people who are just going to yell. I've been to those annual compliance meetings, I don't want to do them anymore. Um, But when you can get involved with people, I, when investment news asked me for 40 under 40, what the favorite part of my job was, it was I get to do something new every day, and I get to build the personal relationships. So all of those activities that I do where it's less focused on the nitty gritty compliance or legal aspects, that's what resonates the most with me nowadays. So
0: you get fulfillment and relationships and knowledge. Do you also think that that volunteering for those things and contributing in those ways helped you get noticed so that the senior leadership team knew that you were a contender to join our family?
1: I'm, I'm sure it did. Um, I, when I was first starting to do it, a lot of it was more focused on, like, we needed a compliance person to represent this. And it was nice getting to be able to work with my coworkers. But I was more about, let's get things done. Like, it needs to be done. Let's actually get it done. Um, And so I think that's how it started. And then they started, they saw me as a person who can get things done. And so they started to ask me for more and more. And um, it's opened a lot of doors, like hard work and being accountable amazing how many doors just that can open for you. Um, if you really stick with it. So now I get to do things that are more fun and give me more fulfillment. (laughs) Perfect. Good answer.
0: Um, so I'm going to go back and call you out on what I just said earlier, which Mm -hmm. is that, uh, We're a really big company. For those of you out there that aren't familiar with us, we have 900 employees, almost 4,000 financial professionals. So there are, on any given day, lots of tactical and strategic initiatives going on. If anyone in this company is considering putting together any kind of task force, uh, committee, networking group, brainstorming session, and they start thinking about who should be in the room, nine times out of 10, Andrea's name is going to be one of the first ones at the top. And she had to learn, and is still learning, I think, (laughs) that she actually, on top of her couple full-time jobs that she does on a regular basis, cannot, as much as she would want to, contribute to everything. So talk about those lessons, Andrea. Where are you at on that journey, and have you—it got you where you were— Mm-hmm. But I have to believe sometimes it also gets in the way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I am. I am on that journey. I have not arrived at my destination, Amy. Um, I want to. I want to get things done, um, and so I innately just want to be like, "Yep, put me on it. We will get this accomplished." And I've had to say no. I've had to delegate. Getting better at the delegating part. Um, trying to coerce other people come out of your shell why don't you handle this I don't need to do it Um, and so that is that's going well for me I think but I am not there yet Um, I also just really like to be involved like I I really do so part of me is like oh but I want to do that that kind of sounds interesting and I have to realize that if your plate is full, your plate is full. Um, you know, I tell every like I tell people that I supervise. I need you to tell me when your plate is getting full so I don't overload you and I'm terrible at actually doing that myself. I need to take my own advice, but um walking the journey because we did have that conversation a year or two ago and I'm trying to do better. Yes, you are <laughs> doing better. I can tell. And, you know, I
0: I the old lady in the room has said this to many, many people here in this company, which is you don't actually get to be promoted and go on to do something more fun until you've replaced yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to replace yourself unless you give people the opportunity. Even if yep. you don't think they're fully equipped to be the one at that table for that discussion in full, hopefully you've picked the right person that's res- resourceful enough that they can come back to you and ask questions. Right. You just don't have to be the doer. Yeah. And that's how we grow our leadership, I think.
1: Yep. And it's... I mean, growing your leadership is hard, which I understand why financial professionals picking a junior to come in is so hard because it does you got to nurture that relationship. Yeah. All right. So the other really important part of
0: this podcast has been to try to convince people, especially individuals more around your age, that there is some balance to our career and our industry mm-hmm. that. We're, we're talking a lot about of all the hours. I mean, we, all, we still spend more hours here at work than we do at home with our families. There's no denying that. Probably most successful careers have that. Um, but there's more so today than ever a, a big focus on balance, mm-hmm. to use an overused word probably. Um, so talk to us about how you do that. How? What's what's going on in your personal life that you'd like Hmm. to share with the audience? What are some of your hobbies and interests? What gives you the other side of that life that everybody wants to feel?
1: The beauty of Cambridge is I think that you can actually achieve a pretty good work life balance here. Um, I might be somewhat jaded considering I was looking at, you know, when you're a first year associate at a law firm, you're like, putting in 70, 80 hours. So I'm like 40 to 50, maybe 55. Sure. Um, but know, I, do I put in more than 40? Yes. Do I put in astronomically more than 40 hours a week? No. My personal life, I have a toddler folks. She's crazy. (laughs) She is half her dad and half her mom. And she got the two parts, the his adventurous spirit and my sass. And she is testing us. (laughs) Um, but she's so, so cute. So Pretty much my hobbies are her nowadays. I mean, I like to run. I like to bake. I like to run because I like to bake, perhaps. I don't know. Um, But I'm very busy with a two-year-old. I also have stepkids who are really great at sports, really great at theater. So there's tons of that going on at all times. Um, So we have a really busy life. You know, the chauffeur mentality of taking kids from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, it's real. But if I have to leave 20 minutes early because I've got to go get the toddler so we can go to the thing, there's no issues here. And I think you just have to find a company that's willing to do that. And companies that aren't willing to do that anymore aren't going to survive because this is the new normal. Life is so much more. It's just so much more stuff today than there was when I was growing up. Like I was like, I had gymnastics like for a little bit, maybe on a Saturday and that was it. But now, you know, it's hardcore stuff's daily for kids now. And it's impossible for companies to be rigid about it and expect quality employees to stay. Yeah, I you're right. I do
0: think uh, and maybe that's the way there's so many leaders of companies that are of an older generation that just don't have that context that you just described, Uh, maybe it makes it easier if they think about it that way, which is gone are the days where you had softball in the summer and otherwise you just needed to be home for dinner when the streetlights came on. Families are busy and kids are involved, to your point, if there's kids in someone's lives year-round in multiple sports or multiple activities and you're hauling into other communities and... Society still needs families, whatever the definition of family means for mm-hmm. a child, to be involved and engaged in their lives. And yeah. so, we as corporate individuals who are trying to run companies do need to learn how to adapt to that.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, you got to keep your family strong. You got to keep your firm strong. And you can't sacrifice one for the other. That doesn't work anymore.
0: Well said. So thanks for coming on this podcast, Andrea. Your energy and enthusiasm is always a lot of fun. And we're so blessed to have you in our Cambridge family. I've told you that before, but I'm going public with it (laughs) uh, on this podcast. And I absolutely cannot
1: wait to see what you do next. Yeah, I'm excited to still be here. 15 years. I might be the one that breaks the millennial mold of having like six different jobs. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I hope so. Congratulations. Thanks, Amy.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.